You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. Wepa, what up, everybody? It's your boy, Al Mega, host of Comic Crusaders Podcast. Welcome to a brand new episode. And today we have an amazing guest. We spoke to his partners not too long ago in our all-Spanish podcast, all right, about that amazing book. So we spoke to the artist. Today we talked to the writer, the, the brains behind this beautiful project. He is a comedian. He's a filmmaker, an entrepreneur, the one and only David Towner. What's going yeah. on, brother? <laughs> How you doing? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well, brother. I hope you're all right, man. And, you know, finally, the gods have let us play yeah. today because yeah. last time you broke the Internet. And I think they yeah, did that yeah. purposely yeah, last we did, time. I think, uh, five minutes uh, into it. Um, so luckily, we didn't get too far because otherwise <laughs> we had to, had to redo the whole thing, man. But yeah, it's meant to be, man. Today's Indigenous People Day, so so it's a good time to get started. It was. I think that was a sign from the gods themselves to do it today because today is going to be very important that we talk about this amazing concept here with the Aztec Warrior Gods. I mean, it's more than a concept because these are real gods. You've done your homework on these bad boys. Absolutely. 12 years of research went into 12 years, folks. You hear this? So, you know, let the folks know, Dave, like where you hail from? Where where were you born and raised? Oh, man. Uh, I'm I'm a hybrid from all over the world, man. Mostly Mm -hmm. I grew up in Alaska and then. then through the Midwest, and uh, then Puerto Rico, and then now I find myself in South Florida. In Puerto Rico, yeah. What part of Puerto Rico are you at? In Macau. Epa, how did you like yeah. it over there when you were there? Oh, beautiful, man, beautiful. <laughs> nice. What was your favorite, favorite food? Hurricane Maria, man. We, we, uh, oh, we word. That perfect timing for us, man. Crazy. What was your favorite food? Oh man, mofongo! I love it all, man. Well, living in South Florida, living in South Florida, I still have access to all that great stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, nice, nice. Yeah, I'm in Orlando myself in Central, so yeah, yeah. You know, there's more Puerto Ricans here than than on the island, so, so we're <laughs> with the food supply. I don't blame them, man. The, the, the you know, our, our country over there is messed up. A little island, you know. Hopefully, things could get better soon. Yeah, I yeah. Hope. One of the most beautiful places on earth. But one of the one of the most disappointing. Same with Haiti, man. I spent three years in Haiti. Same oh, wow. situation, you know. It, it seems to me that the most beautiful places on earth are always the most troubled, and and I don't know why we can't figure that out. Yeah, it, well, it's like anything with beauty seems to be a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, man. Isn't that wild? And so, let me ask: Why are you bouncing around so many different places? Were you, uh, were you serving dad, family? What? Yeah, my dad was career military, and then so was I. Oh so, man, thank you for your service, kiddo. Thank you. Well. Yep. Yeah, I've been all around the world. Somalia, tour in Cuba, three tours in Haiti, um, deployed everywhere, man. And and that's actually what gave me time to start um, collecting my thoughts about a lot of the screenplays and stories I've written was uh, a lot of downtime. You know, a lot of people see action movies, military movies, and it looks like you're nonstop. But the reality is you do an eight hour, 12 hour shift doing patrols like in Mogadishu. Those are pretty action filled, but when you get back, man, it's just it's just sitting there staring at the wall. You don't have a lot of <laughs> really? you don't have an eighty six inch screen to sit there and stare at. And at the time I was in, we didn't even have uh, computers or or iPhones. This was in the nineties, so, um, oh, wow. so you know you know you find your own way, man. And so luckily it worked out for me well, man, because I was able to put together a lot of really unique stories and build um, build entire universes and, and alternative realities for some of my characters. So before you even served in all, were you into, you know, like, you know, writing and, and pop culture and things like that, you know, you know, history? 
Yeah, I was actually an actor as a kid. I, I did a lot. Oh, what? A couple shows, um, a couple films, and um, and I loved the scene, man. My very first um, experience on set was a kind of a harsh reality into Hollywood. So um, I did a film with a director called Peter Hunt, a film uh, called, uh, it was uh, a Mark Twain story. I think it was called, uh, Huck, it was just a Huck Finn, Huckleberry Finn, or one of the variations of that. And I did about eight days of shooting. All my scenes were cut except some of the background stuff. So oh, damn. I, was there a, I was sitting there in this theater in Kentucky anticipating seeing myself. And I was like, oh, man, I'm a celebrity. I'm a 12-year-old celebrity, right? Scene's gone, man. All my friends were there. I saw all them. But for some reason, the scenes, um, which I got to work with Lillian Gish and and Patrick Day and a bunch oh, wow. of cool um, cool actors and stuff. So I got a really good introduction into feature films. And that that's my true love is uh, writing, directing, producing feature films. So, so that was my reality into, oh, so, so it, it's not, it's not what it's cracked up to be where you think, um, you think you're, you know, the reality of Hollywood. And this is why I didn't run away at teenage years to become <laughs> is because I knew that the success rate was almost zero. Oh, and wow. my, my objective was to create projects on my own terms um, do them on my own terms. I, I shot my first feature last year, funded it myself. It's a really nice indie comedy, really successful though, man. We had a half a million downloads, but that's my goal. Keep it as a hobby. And then, and then that way, um, in, um, I think in, in the movie Desperado, the lead, the lead character says when it's something similar to when you want nothing, you're, you're invincible. And that's the same, same way I look at it now is, Nobody can dictate my time. Nobody can dictate my projects and I need nothing from anybody. So what I do, um, it makes me, makes me invincible because I don't have to rely on other people to create projects. So same with this project, man, completely self-funded. Um, uh, we have, I have 24 novels already written, two of them already illustrated. Yeah. We're working on number three now. Are you going to keep the, the, these cats busy over there in Mexico? Absolutely, oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. And that's another thing. How did you learn the language? How did you become so savvy? Because I asked them, I was like, okay, so you guys were presented with this project from an American. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he came at you. He was like, how was that approach? You know, they were surprised. Like, you, you came with the Spanish, you know, you try. And and, yeah. and how do you guys even work together to do the project? This is amusing to me. <laughs> um, well, I speak Spanish pretty well. Um, the... Um, so that so the language was not an issue for us. Beautiful. The way I learned Spanish was kind of being self-taught. You know, I mean, um, had a lot of friends, a lot of um, uh, Puerto Rican friends, especially in the military. Again, during that downtime, I would sit down with friends that um, that were you know Puerto Rican or Mexican yes. American, and we would just we would just talk, man. And then ultimately, I went to a language course, which you don't really learn much there. It's really the interaction. And and then my 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 mastery of Spanish is good enough that I know regional dialects, regional things like in, oh, in amazing. Hugo de China. Hugo de China means nothing anywhere else in the world. Exactly. That's orange juice. And um, funny story, I went to the store uh, first time when we first moved there, I was like, am I buying juice from China? What, well, I'm totally confused. By <laughs> when, you're, when you're in grave, you kind of learn, learn the nuances of the, of the island. Yeah, so I can you know, give you 50 words in Puerto Rico that make no sense anywhere else. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so I'll give you a great one too, because you know, being from Puerto Rico, you know, bicho, what that means to us. What's that? You know what bicho means to us. No, no, you, know, no. you know, well, bicho is not like okay. Let me just say the story like this. I work with a Spaniard lady. Yeah, yeah. Now, this lady starts screaming and pointing at the wall, un bicho, un bicho. Now I'm Puerto Rican. A bicho yeah, yeah. to me means penis. Oh, that's funny. 
So I'm like, what the hell are you saying, lady? I'm thinking this lady's trying to hit on me or some shit. What's wrong with her? She could be my grandmother. Yeah. And, and when I look up, I see a rose. I say, oh, una cucaracha. No, un bicho. I'm like, wow, you Spaniards. You, you, you. And that was the first time I had never heard. Yeah, yeah. Another, another one called bicho. Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo is ice cream. but Yeah, Monte Carlo. Sí. Helado. Helado. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We say Montecado. <laughs> Yo, that's so awesome. You, you, you catch hey, a little word, bro. There's another one for money. El Chavo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm loving your, uh, your D- Dave, you are an adopted Puerto Rican. Check this out. I'm, I'm, I'm digging yeah, I'm it. Honorary, man. Yeah, wepa. This is dig- I'm digging it. I'm digging it. When, so, I was, when, I was, when I lived there, I said, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not Boricua, but I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> I always joke with people because I'm originally from New York. And they say, where you yeah. at now? I said, oh, I'm in the sixth borough. I'm like, what do you mean? In Orlando. There's, yeah. there's a shit ton of Puerto Rican here, too. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a mainland PR. <laughs> so how did the whole creative process for you start though the, the day you decided to say okay i want to do a book and i need to find artists this is my visions and how did you even go all about that what was this whole journey like for you to even start okay, this process? yeah so the, the inspiration came from the mystery of the aztecs understanding the how this i went i went on a journey i was in mexico went on this uh weekend excursion and had the opportunity to look at some explorers and um archaeologists uncovering some of the aztec um, um, uh, settlements there. So what happened was th- there was also a guide with us and she was in Spanish speaking, you know, that, that, that this was a, a civilization of, of 7 million people that essentially disappeared overnight. And, and um, so the mystery is, is how did this civilization just disperse? And what, what happened is obviously there are, there were only 400 Spaniards there to oppose them. So the Spanish didn't do it. Now, the Spanish had in, um, indoctrinated or encouraged um, surrounding tribes that, that had already been warring with the Aztecs to engage them in battle as well. But what we know now is most likely um, most of the people, um, as many of the 80 percent of them died from smallpox and other diseases brought by the wow. Europeans. But that wow. still doesn't account for seven million people. So in my mind, uh, you know, my creative mind, I'm, I'm thinking, so let's create an alternative reality to explain it. So what I did was I created um, a, a, a situation when Huitzilopochtli, who was actually a manifestation of the people, um, as most gods are, he decided that that the the war was not the way, and he he had a change of heart. So he uses the power of the sun to disintegrate the battlefield. The survivors that are there, he brings them into the underworld called Miklan, a special section Miklan. of to survive for the next 500 years. And upon that 500 years, and this is why the um, the first chapter is called Sorgimiento or, or Emergence, is because the, the character you're looking at right there, Amashli, he emerges it on the 500th anniversary, which was August 13th, 2021, because the, the empire fell on August 13th, 1521. So he emerges and his, his objective is not just to be a badass superhero and kill a bunch of people, his objective is to create a peaceful, harmonious planet. And obviously, violence needs to take place to achieve that goal. He's, he's up. He's there for it. And he has four, four other uh, superheroes. But another interesting twist is that in uh, 1877, four days before his death, Crazy Horse prophesies a time in, in, um, in, in uh, seven generations. Now, seven generations would take us exactly to the time at which Imashli emerged. 
So mm. uh, in, 50, in 2021, Amashli is emerging on the 500th anniversary, but also fulfilling the prophecy of Crazy Horse, who was a Lakota warrior. And, and, and Crazy Horse prophesied that there will be a time in seven generations, which brings us to 2011 to 2025, depends on how you, how you think about it. Uh-huh. Uh, but at that time, all the red tribes of the world would unite and they would be a blessing for a sick world. And what they would do is unite to create a more harmonious planet, but also to be a source of guidance and knowledge for for white people. Even the people who had opposed them and done them harm in the past, that was all going to be forgiven. Um, Now, what happens in chapter two is this is this is where this all comes together. And they engage the Navajo um, to help them facilitate the story. Now, when when Crazy Horse said um, that we will be a blessing for a sick world. My interpretation of that was literally a sick world. So here's a crazy coincidence. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in 2009, I wrote into the story, and it's in in both both chapters. It starts off in chapter one that that when they emerge in 2021, the world is suffering a last virus pandemic. Wow. And so, so what they do is they approach. What, what's happening is there's a Russian oligarch. His name is Adrian Volkov. He is he is selling vaccines to the highest bidder. Mm-hmm. And when other entities try to develop the vaccines, they have trouble with it. And what it turns out is that he is manipulating the virus to create these variants that make him because. But nobody knows this. You know, yes, the warriors figure it out that he's the one behind the virus. So their first mission that they create is to go destroy his destroy his place. So their objective was to come on to emerge onto the earth as uh, you know, kind of get their feet wet and feel things out and see what needs to happen. So within the first chapter though, by the end of it, they're in a major battle with this guy in Siberia, destroying oh. this facility, which is a Russian government facility. So obviously, you know, you get, you get the conflict of the media is against them. Um, kind of like Spider-Man did, you know, and, um, the media is against them. Some of the public's against them. So you get this um, battle on social media about whether these are good guys or bad guys. And what happens in chapter two is they they um, they um, find a podcast host and they befriend him. And he's super famous. Uh, Twenty four million people, I think we referenced that that are in his audience. And he they befriend him and he becomes their voice and their advocate in society. So so that's where we are. I can't say any more about future. things. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, well, one thing I can mention, even though we haven't introduced them, is everything that we're seeing, kind of like a Justice League or, or a Marvel, okay. is um, is dictated by a spirit world tribal council. And that's how we incorporate the American Indians into into the story. Beautiful. Because they're not from the same time frame as the Aztecs. They come on. They come on. And also um, we have Hindu, uh, the princess uh, Rani Durgavati. She's Hindu. Shaka oh. Zulu, who is a contemporary king of, uh, of the Zulu nation. They come on board to assist the Aztecs in their missions as spirit guides. They're not ca- they're not capable of violence, but they can offer guidance and leadership and and counsel. and And that also appears in chapter two as well. I really find it beautiful how you actually mix all these different yeah, tribes, yeah. if you will, gl- on, on a global scale. It's, it's yeah, a beautiful thing, yeah. kiddo. It's because wonderful. Listen, Thank you. People think of indigenous people as American indigenous people, but the reality there are indigenous people everywhere. I mean, you know, yes. all, you know, on five continents, we have people that have inhabited them for tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years, and they deserve recognition and representation as, as much as any anybody else. Of course. So, and talk about these designs, kiddo. I mean, look at how gorgeous this is yeah. right here on screen. 
Yeah. So listen, the artist, Diego, and <laughs> I mean, that's all contributed. I contribute everything to them. I, I, of course, give them guidance. And it was really important for me to go out and find Mexican artists because they are already, you know, you know, just just through um, direct exposure, they will have already seen these rather than trying to hire somebody to do a bunch of research. I wanted I really wanted Mexican artists. And the um, the reality, it was really hard to find them. I mean, it took me three years of searching. Three years. Wow. I, I, I had I tried out several different people and, you know, they just they weren't at the quality. But, man, I feel really lucky to have those two. I mean, their work is displayed in in um, they live in Guanajuato and their work is displayed throughout museums and stuff. And they're sculptors and painters and and really broad, broad, talented artists. And I'm so fortunate to have them on board this project, man. And, and fellow geeks too. They're awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So another crazy thing, a lot of people say, how do you, how do you get so popular? How do you get so successful? We, because of the quality of the artwork, we have fans that never even looked at a comic book in their whole life. They just love our art. So we yes. have, we have 70 year old women who just love the art. We have 50 year old men who love the indigenous theme. We have obviously the comic book, the superhero guys, it's probably 70%, but we're pulling from broad audiences all around the world because of because of the, the the quality of art that they produce so I owe I owe them tremendously and they are they are equity partners in the in the project by the way they participate um, wow yeah yeah I, I, that was important to me too I always I run some businesses and I always felt like people who have an equity stake in in your project are always going to be more dedicated and more oh, hell yeah loyal and, and that's what I did with them as well definitely being a part of the stakes not just creatively but you know on that scale it's like yeah you want it they're not employees for hire man they they are they are the only salaried employees on the on the project but they also participate on the back end folks you hear this that, that that's a boss right here kudos to you kid we are entrepreneur loving it oh who's this what's that this is, that's we partially the the god of war um he is the one who intervenes in the battlefield with the Spanish and and decides that, that that's enough, that, that's, that, that he's going to put an end to it. So obviously, gods are manifestations of humans, not the other way around. And so he even references, you know, your your negative legacy. And so, uh, you know, most people know the Aztecs from um, human sacrifice and, and their violent nature. And he says, because of that legacy, you you must atone for the next 500 years. That's why he put them in the underworld to become better people and subsequent generations would become better and more compassionate. And, and what he did was um, he basically said, you manifested me to justify your violent behavior. I'm going away. And this is your legacy. Now, failure, failure, succeed. This is on you. And so he, and that's the last time we see him was in the first few pages when he when he gives them that that um, directive and then he's gone. So they no longer have a deity based um, society. Wow, that's deep too. Jeez. Yeah, it is, man. It's it's complex stuff. I could I could literally spend five <laughs> days just explaining all the complexities of the tribal world council and how they work and what their criteria are for indigenous and all that stuff. Now I know where to go in case something happens in the states. Uh, what town are you in again? So we could do our own world council and make sure we oh, keep our oh, uh, borders safe. <laughs> Florida, man. <laughs> and who it is? This looks gorgeous. Hey, so, wow. Cool. Okay, so in addition to the um, the five warriors, we have Nanette. Nanette is an intellectual. She's one of the one of the leaders of the intellectuals. Um, so this is a more I guess war story gets really more complex. Is for that first five hundred years, all, uh, eight intellectuals who are also designated as immortals. So there are thirteen immortals. Thirteen is a, is a sacred number to the Aztecs. So they have five warriors. Three are females. Two are men. 
And one of them is actually Incan. He's a, he's a Quechua warrior. Um, so they also have eight, eight intellectuals. Now, those intellectuals, their job is to go out into society, integrate anonymously, and they will come back with that knowledge and teach the, the, teach the Aztecs in the underworld all of these, you know, astronomy, mathematics, even computers. So even though they're living much as they did in the 16th century, they have the knowledge to be a, a superior. So, again, this goes to the narrative of when you emerge in, in 2021, you're going to be the leaders of the world. You're, people will come to you for knowledge. You have to have that knowledge. So they actually end up creating the, the vaccine to the virus um, in, in the underworld. So they have modern facilities, and she's one of the uh, intellectuals tasked with going out into the world and bringing back knowledge, languages. They're teaching Russian and Spanish and French and, and Brazilian and English to these people. So it also also facilitates the reality that our characters, you know, it's got to be plausible that they, they emerge speaking English. And, and that's how we facilitate that, you know, because they would have spoken Nahuatl prior. <laughs> this is good. Oh, ooh. Yeah, that's Tlachanali. She is actually a warrior and the right. She, so we have three warriors. It's actually a female-centric series. And our oh. objective in the future is that each, um, you know, much like Marvel, DC, and the other major uh, franchises, each of our characters have a strong backstory and, and the ability to carry entire um, stories by themselves. So that's the objective ultimately. And I'm actually looking for female writers to help me um, hey. um, bring characters to life because you fall into the trap of writing what you know and what you're comfortable with. And although I try, I think it would be important to have a female voice um, to help me bring these characters. Now, chapter three is called Girl Power. And it's because of that, because we're, we're bringing the female characters to the forefront. So Tlashinali there, she's, a, she's an Aztec warrior. And another uh, interesting thing about the Aztecs is women could be warriors. It was a very progressive society. Women could be business owners. Women could be bosses. Women, if they wanted, could be housewives. It, it's, it's, so uh, Tenochtitlan existed. That's the capital of the empire, existed simultaneously with London. It was larger and much more progressive than London at the time. And oh, the crazy. Yeah, yeah. So people have this legacy of, and this is one of the things we wanted to bring to light in in the story is not just you know these aren't brutal savages. This is a very very progressive advanced uh, civilization that had really, I mean, their agriculture was superior to any on earth. They built aqueducts. They built their their capital city on a on a on a lake in the middle of a lake. And people in today, people have trouble doing that. And they built this <laughs> empire in the middle of a lake, and and that's. Again, a prophecy from Winslow Lepashley in their origin story, which is covered as well in the in the um, prequel in a in a prologue to our first novel. I really wish we could find all those secrets of, of building techniques from back then, because those were the true masters. I it, mean, it I, unbelievable. You know? Yeah, and it seems impossible today. You do that by hand. I mean, isn't it? I mean, I've even I've heard stories. Some guy, I think it was here in Florida, that had some place that he was moving huge stones. Yeah, something about a black box. He was doing it by himself, and people exactly. don't understand how he you did it. You mean? Yeah, yeah, I saw that, but yeah. So I'm I'm not sure. I believe that that's that's really tough. This one guy, and he was an older guy too. It wasn't like he's a Hercules. So yeah, you never know. But but yeah, but that's I know who you're talking about. I've yeah, it's it. like ancient techniques. This that word, yo, please, yo, we, we make a killing in construction out of it. Let's get it, it done. Is super, it is super impressive when you see what he did, even with modern techniques. It was yeah, impressive. some of the way his doors are opening and stuff. Okay, that's Tupac. He is the Quechua warrior. He was um, captured in battle. Um, and, and raised as an Aztec since childhood. He was a slave until um, they saw his uh, ability to fight and his um, loyalty to to the uh, 
to the Tenochka, to the um, Aztecs. And what he did was he was adopted, swore his allegiance to the Aztec Empire. And then um, he uh, that way he he got to be a, a designated as a warrior, as an eagle warrior. Yeah, he looks dope, man. Love it. Oh, he's he, I got another design. Let's see, who we're looking at. Yeah. yeah, design is gorgeous. Yeah, of course. That's and check. Look at that. Hey, yep. after two cover, yep. Woo! The incorporation you see um, all of our warriors plus Ronnie Durgavati, the Indian there um, with the sword. You see um, Shaka Zulu with the with the um, the the cattle shield. Yeah, so they're all there. And oh, you see Danawoa. He is a um, Cherokee in the top middle. And then okay. to his left, our right is uh, is Ahiga. And Ahiga is a, uh, a younger warrior, died in battle. And he comes back as a spirit guide as well. And, and his name means to fight. Danawoa means warrior in Cherokee. And Ahiga is a Navajo name. This this cover is so, so dope. And you're talking that you are 24 chapters ahead, dude. Yeah, yeah, twenty-four total novels. Yeah, not chapters. Wow, yeah, novels. I mean, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, over over six hundred pages. Wow. And so, was that part of that three-year journey? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Ironically, I started writing this as a screenplay, and um, and and then once I got hundreds of pages, and I'm like, this is never going to work. This has to be episodic. And I had never done a graphic novel, but I thought the visuals are so incredible. Why would we not create something that that people could also see? So I had to go learn the graphic novel format first because uh, because, um, you know, obviously you got to know what you're doing. You can't just write a short story and try to stick it in cells. You know, I and, and so Diego and, and um, Carla are instrumental in that, too, because they knew the format and they had done it before. So they so it's a really a collaborative. Nice. Effort. You know, I have the ideas, but but at the end of the day, it's a project created by Diego and Carla. It's a team effort. This is yeah, wonderful. Yeah. I love to see that. And, and, and an international effort at that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, we've had, we've had various people contributing from um, Pakistan, India, some of the oh. artwork. Yeah, and my wife's artist, too, and she's actually of Cherokee descent. So she is um, – Hey. She just did a print. Um, man, I wish I had it in here. I'm going today to get it scanned, and we're going to sell copies of her art on, on the website Um um, just, just a fan. It's an Aztec-inspired Indian uh, princess. Wonderful. And are you guys going to be doing any shows this year? You know, for the remainder of the year, you guys going to be any place where you know people could get hands-on, talk to you, and, sure. and get the book. So we're doing a uh, red carpet event, and, and a, so what we're doing is looking for more more artists, uh, not not to replace Diego and Carla. They're going to keep doing what they're doing, <laughs> but people to create. T-shirts, um, memorabilia, oh. merchandise, um, uh, you know, promotional assets, stuff like that. Web, web stuff. So um, you're hiring. So where can people contact well, you? Well, you we're gonna we're gonna post something probably tomorrow about that. So we're holding a contest. Um, right now we're looking for Los Angeles based people. Um, we could we could have some remote, but the reason we're looking for Los Angeles because we're gonna have an office there where we'll get together once or twice a month for a collaborative uh, creative effort. And um, so we'll post that on the Facebook page in the next day or two. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have a red carpet event in November and we'll invite the finalists in that art contest to come in and, and, um, and receive their prizes and have their artwork displayed. We'll have our art com- com- and, you know, with theirs combined throughout the venue. That's going to be in Los Angeles. And then, um, and then we're also the next day, I know, I know you're, you've got a broad, broad audience, but if people are in Los Angeles, we're having a, a, a book signing in LA, which is also on our events page. So yeah, that's it. Um, What's Emerald, up? Emerald Knights comics and games. And, and oh, nice. Yeah. 
Nice, nice. So you're, you're shaking and moving. Yeah, the problem is COVID has really limited us, but now we're getting to where we can do things. We have book signing offers from everywhere, a lot of Texas, California, all over the country. So we're going to start doing more of those. The problem has just been travel and, you know, getting people here from Mexico because I want them to meet the whole team, you know. But so we're it's slowly, slowly reopening and we're we're getting to where we're going to give it a shot in November and see how it goes. And if attendance is good, then we're going to we're going to continue. Yeah, because I, I believe they're doing a small San Diego show also in November. Yeah. Probably a good thing if you could time it around then and have already that comic, you know, focus. Yeah, yeah, um, so, yeah they have, LA, LA has their own comic. Um, unfortunately, that's oh, scheduled like four times. I think that's in October. <laughs> so I missed that. But um, but yes, yeah, so ultimately, that's another um, idea is to get involved with those with those comic cons around the country as well. But but man, we're we're so happy with our the way things are going. I mean, we're we're um, doing fulfillment here in this office here where I am now. This is um, one of my offices in my house. We got stacks of books behind me. We're shipping them out like every day. I mean, we're 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 the success has been incredible, man. I mean, it's just blown us away. I'm Way happy. Than I expected. I mean, I I and another thing that surprised me because I wasn't. Um, you know, I know nothing about graphic novels until a few years ago is how adamant fans are about having a paperback copy in their hands. I thought 99% would sell digital, totally the opposite. So I got overwhelmed, man. We had, we were using four different printers right now to keep. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So all the first prints are gone then first edition. So, so we did, um, that's another advantage to the people in LA that can come to those events. They're going to get the first edition U S printed copies. Those will all be gone at that event. And then now, now we're having to bring from China and Korea and different printing sources because in the U S pricing's crazy, but we can't keep up. I mean, so these people can do massive volumes over there. Um, and so, so, you know, obviously the more successful the project gets, the more valuable those, those items are going to, and everything sitting behind me is probably 200, um, maybe 400. Well, there's English and Spanish too. Those are, um, those are all us printed first edition. So those will be, um, hopefully, you know, very valuable. You know, our objective is to do this for, I already have, I could, so we're releasing one novel every three months. So oh, we'll wonderful. A four novel compilation every year. And so we have six years of novels already written and created. So we just need to illustrate them. So, so hopefully, you know, down the road, we get, uh, maybe we're, uh, you know, big enough that people really see the value in, in our, in our, you know, early stage, uh, development and, and see the value in these copies. So they're kind of, uh, precious commodities. And, and I think they sold out once already at, uh, at the comic store where they are. And we're going to ship them some more here soon. Fantastic. I feel like I'm talking to RZA from Wu-Tang here. You have this six-year plan. This, it's laid out, folks. Yes. It's laid yes. out. Let's make it happen. Yes. Let's. And if you had a choice, would you like to see this turn into a live-action feature or animated feature? I think live-action or or a combination live-action. And, and, you know, a lot of – we've actually been approached about that. Oh, the cool. Is, I think the visuals are so incredible and the opportunity here, because this is really a modern story. It's not a period piece. But our, our so our opening is is Tenochtitlan, but then we go back to Miklan, which the the universe that we've created in Miklan and the underworld is beautiful. So the healing waters there, which is the the fountain of youth, are there, and that's how our characters maintain their immortality. So the visuals that can be created, and, and did you see the new Jungle Book? Yeah. So the combination of that live action and that type of animation, I would be okay with. But but a true, you know, just a true 2D animation would not do justice to, to the visuals that we can do here. You know, we have good stories, too. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, like like uh, Black Panther. I mean, wow. The you know, the Wakanda overviews and the sweeping yes. views and, and um, 
the panning shots in that in that environment were just incredible. And I think that's we can create something similar to that. I honestly think it would be uh, more successful, though. I know that's that's a pretty, pretty <laughs> statement, but I mean, you know, if you think about the audience we have, we're we're you know we have a core audience of about six hundred million um, Latino people that are thirsty and hungry for yes. For, for this type of um, this type Content. of uh, yes. uh, development of a project, but then also, you know, with the comic book fans, I think I think it's you know it's um, from a marketing perspective, it's uh, if it's done well, of course, and that's the problem we had with some other offers. We've had offers for video game development, but the you know people that I'd never heard of, and then um, overseas people that wanted to uh, produce um, a film or a series. The problem is again, I'm not sure they understand. I'm going to be listen. I'm a white guy in Florida, but I'm still <laughs> protective of, of my characters and, and the integrity of I'm not going to have um, some guy because he's an A-list or play an Aztec warrior. This is not happening. I would never. Thank you. Yeah. And, and yeah. So so the funny thing is people ask, well, um, do you feel OK as a non-Latino guy building this project? And the answer is absolutely. And I'll tell you why. Because if white guys are only limited to creating white characters, we're only creating opportunities for other white guys. If 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 people who have a voice and have a creative mind are will start diversifying their characters, now we're creating opportunities for other people and other demographics. Yes. And the, another great example is black is a uh, Black Panther that was created by a middle aged white guy. But look at the tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. that had the opportunity now to work on such an amazing project. So should we stifle Stan Lee when he comes up with an idea that doesn't look like a, a white heterosexual male? So I think it's quite the opposite. I think we have obligations as creators to to broaden our perspectives. And a lot of people say, write what you know. That's boring to me. I, I Who wants to write what you know? That's yeah. lazy. To me, I want to go out and learn something. Then I'll write about it. So I write what I don't know. Yeah, and I appreciate the fact that you even take the time as someone outside of our culture to learn about our culture. Yeah, it's a beautiful um, thing. Every Mexican I've talked about this say, and same with Puerto Ricans, they like, oh, you know more about Tainos than I do. You know more <laughs> about you know more about Aztecs than I do. And absolutely, man, you got it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta know it to to write it. You just you gotta know it back to front, man. I mean, I've I've learned so much of the language, of the culture, of the history, of the dynamics between the different tribes. I know I can name there's 60 indigenous tribes. I can name probably probably all of them if I could sit down and write it. So yeah, I know more than a lot, of, and I get a lot of wrong comments, you know, like on Facebook, we'll see comments that are, and I see how little people really know. And they, they have these stereotypes or, um, or mis misunderstandings about who the Aztecs were or Taino or, or Sulu or, 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 uh, or Hindu. I mean, they don't, you know, so I'm, I pride myself in that I would never put something out that was guessing or taking liberties as well. Now this is obviously fiction, right? But it is rooted deeply rooted in, in historical facts. So, I, um, although we're creating a fictional modern series, at the end of the day, it, the roots of it and the history we're bringing into it will all be accurate. Yep, but you heard that, folks. Going to be fuego. I can't wait it's for you guys to actually see the project. You know, AztecWarriorGod.com. Follow the Facebook as well, Aztec Warrior God. I mean, is that the only place that we could get the book right now? Okay, so you can get uh, so the digital versions are on every platform: uh, Amazon, Apple Books, Kobo. Wonderful. All of, um, you can either order the um, the physical copy of the first chapter on our website, or uh, there's a link in our in our Facebook um, post of of a uh, third party, which is which is actually the uh, e-commerce site for 
the Burbank based um, comment and they're, 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 they have uh, better pricing. We have a good deal with them. So maybe that's a better option for most people, but unfortunately we can only ship in the U S and Canada. We're still looking for distribute distributors, which is crazy to me. Wow. I know, I know we'd sell a hundred thousand books in, in Mexico, no doubt, just based on the people that have emailed me personally, but we, but you know, we're having trouble with distribution people. That's crazy. It is. It is. It's unbelievable, but that's okay. That's a tough business. Man. You know? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. So we, um, we couldn't get a publisher, so now we are a publisher. We couldn't get a distributor, so now we're becoming distributors. You know, there you go, there you go, fire man. You know, yeah, yeah. but for international, you still need that middleman. Damn. <laughs> yep. yep, yep, yep. Modern man. technology, man. Have you tried Penguin Random House? They're in the distribution um, business, you know, and they're international. Specifically, um, who we've reached out to, but I can tell you, we've reached out to a lot of people. Excellent. Well, good luck, folks. You hear this? Come on, publishers. Yo, this is the great stuff, and it's true. This would be bomb, not just in Mexico, but I think all of you know Central, South America, Caribe. Yeah, we're a seven-figure seller, man. I mean, I don't, I don't know of another title that's doing that. I think we're we're exceeding the the major franchises. So it is crazy to me. But again, I've been in business a long time, and I see people that uh, pass opportunities by because. You know, there's not a specific name or a specific brand attached. To sad, sad, sad way to think as an they, entrepreneur, right? It's just until they can't, right? Yeah, for me, that's just a sad way to think. Uh, you know, even for example, like I'm watching the Wu Tang show, and, yeah, and yeah. they're calling people. Oh, they like, shut up. Who are you? It's like exactly. listen, people, listen. You never know. Just don't be standoffish and listen. <laughs> yeah, the way I look at it is, if you look at our social media alone. I mean, we have 4 million people that are, you know, that are in our database that, that, that want to be notified when new titles come out. So to me, if they can't, if they can't uh, absorb those numbers and make sense of them, then it's okay. You know, we're very happy doing what we're doing. We're not, we're not complaining, but. Yeah, you ain't begging, but I mean, hey guys, if you want part of this success, I mean, to even expand it further, I mean, here's a wonderful, and like the onion, uh, I love what recently they did rated O for original. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it would be nice to have third parties for stuff as long as they're the right people, you know. There you, gonna, go. you know, keep in mind, we only launched this thing six weeks ago, you know, so my wow. first one was in August. So we're, we're very early and I get it. If people want to say, Hey, we're going to wait some time. That's okay. But we're very happy the way things are moving. Everybody that wants a book in North America is getting it. Everybody global that that's looking for digital copies, getting it. So nobody's suffering, but at the same time, I think we could really, really blow it out of the water and replicate like a Harry Potter type type franchise. If we, if we had the right partners in place. Uh, agree, man, especially with this type of content and story and yep. on, on, on a wonderful day like this. Let's make it happen, people. Show the love to David. Now, what, if they wanted to get in touch with you, I mean, like you said, for the competition and all, or if, if someone is from a distributor and wants to contact you, is the the website the yeah, best place? Yeah, the Facebook's the best place. Website or Facebook. Facebook. Um, Facebook, we have people, we have constant moderators on there. So they forward everything to me that's directed to me. And um and you know delete the the the, the, the garbage that we get you know as I I'm a I'm a sultan and I I'm gonna give you a billion dollars you know we, we get all kinds of crazy stuff man oh me too I'm a Nigerian princess dying to send me a million dollars yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah I'm grateful to even be on their radar man all the scammers but that's okay <laughs> you know or, or the or the charlatans you know there's some of them out there. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. But this is not a Charlton stuff. This is like amazing stuff. This is the best stuff. This is comic books at its best with, you know, mythology, some reality, awesome characters, diversity. You know, it, it, it's the USA. It's Mexico right here teaming up, kicking ass on an amazing title and book that I think everyone should definitely pick up. All right. So one last time, check out the, the website, aztecwarriorguard.com. 
and on Facebook, please, Aztec Warrior God. Remember, he got a competition going on. He's looking for publishers, too, for, for international, if you, if you have those type of opportunities. You know what to do. Hit him up. All right, Dave, any last words? No, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate the time, man. Fantastic. Thank you for coming on, Dave. And with that, folks, the outro tells you what to do. Hasta la próxima. Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 